What is obesity? Obesity is a disease state where your body has lost the ability to regulate body fat healthfully. Your genes can dictate you know, upwards of, of 50% or more of your set point. It is not possible to create a huge surplus of calories consistently eating the right quality of food. What it means to eat better is to eat foods that the scientific community has proven unequivocally have certain characteristics. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Hi friends, I am so excited about this episode. I think it's probably the first time where the author not only has incredible books, but also is releasing an amazing documentary. Yes, so Jonathan Baylor, he is the author of The Calorie Myth, The Set Point Diet, which we dive deep into today, dismantling all those myths about body set point. But he's also the producer of the new documentary, Better. It released on May 25th. I had the honor of watching it a while ago, and it was absolutely incredible. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but I really think you guys will enjoy today's episode. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash setpoint. Those show notes will have a complete transcript, so definitely check that out. There will also be two episode giveaways for this episode. One is actually to win a signed copy of The Set Point Diet. That will be on my Instagram. So just go to my Instagram and look for the sign post about this to enter to win. And then there will be an episode giveaway in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. If you are enjoying this show, it would mean the absolute world, world, world if you could take a brief moment and write an iTunes review. I cannot thank you enough for doing that. It means the absolute world. It helps so much with spreading the word, helping the show rank and iTunes, and so much more. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Jonathan Baylor. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited and thrilled about the conversation that I am about to have. It is with a New York Times bestselling author. He has two books, The Calorie Myth, as well as The Set Point Diet, and he has a fabulous new movie. It's a documentary called Better, which I had the honor of watching. And I'm really excited about this topic. But when I hold my audience for questions for you, Jonathan, because I always ask them about upcoming shows and topics and do they have questions. And when I mentioned set point oh my goodness, I just got hit with like hundreds of questions. So I think people are really, really going to enjoy this conversation and your work on it is absolutely fabulous. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So listeners are likely familiar with you, but for those who are not, this is Jonathan Baylor. He is the founder, CEO, and chief scientist of the world's fastest growing metabolic healing and diabetes treatment company. It's called Sane Solution, and I'm sure we will dive into his Sane method in the episode today, but he's been all over the place. He's spoken at Fortune 100 companies, at TED conferences, a myriad of other places. He's registered over 26 patents 
basically he knows his stuff. So I'm really, really excited to jump in. To start things off, would you like to tell listeners just a little bit about your personal history and what led you to where you are today, especially with producing your new documentary better? My background is goes goes way back. I know we have a little bit of time today, so I'll give you the slightly longer version. When I was very young, so let's say you know five to seven range, I uh, had a very tragic experience with my grandfather, where he had a heartbreaking experience with diabetes, ended up passing away in a fairly disturbing and graphic fashion, and that lit a fire inside of me to just not allow things like that to happen. Didn't as a child, didn't really know what was going on. Didn't want more stuff like that to happen. And that ended up morphing into a overall interest in human potential. Uh, like the, the Rocky movie, Rocky three kind of came out around that time as well as the original Superman movies. And I, I've known for wearing a Superman costume for like two straight weeks in my youth and always wanted to then, you know, be like, Superman. And I also had a much older brother who was very, very athletic. So I wanted to be like him. The challenge that I faced growing up is like many people, I had major issues with my body, but the issue and the shame that I felt was kind of the other side of the coin that that most people feel. And it was that I was very highly bullied, geeky, tiny, scrawny child and wanted to prevent that. So I wanted to be like Superman. I wanted to be like my big brother. I wanted to be big and strong. I wanted to not only protect myself, but you know, protect other people so they didn't have the same fate that my grandfather had. But no matter what I did, I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I was doing extreme things like I became a personal trainer. I was eating, I was literally drinking olive oil. I'm trying to consume like six, 8,000 calories per day in an effort to, to get bigger. And I couldn't. And now this is all happening over a period of time. So it's, it's, I'm 1920 now, not now, but in the story. And I was, I was a personal trainer and I was continuing down this journey of just taking all these very unhealthy supplements. I mean, this was back when ephedra was legal and I don't know why I was taking ephedra while I was trying to get bigger, but that's a different story. I was taking everything you possibly could to try to change my body and it wasn't working. And there was a moment though, and this is really the the key point of the story where I was sitting across the table from one of my clients and I'm 1920 at the time. And I am promulgating the standard eat less exercise more that all personal trainers are trained, or at least were trained to promulgate at that time. I had this woman, the vast majority of my clients were, were women over the age of 40. I believe this woman was an attorney. I mean, a brilliant, capable human being. No, it wasn't like she's an incompetent human being, which is how we paint so many people when it comes to health and wellness as being stupid or incompetent in some way. She was not in any way, shape or form. However, she was, she was eating 1200 calories a day. Like I told her to, she was exercising every single day. She was eating five times less than I was eating. And she was exercising far more than I was eating. And, and she wasn't seeing the results she wanted. And she broke down in tears and she said, Jonathan, what's wrong with me? And Literally upon her saying that I had this flash of some giant meathead man saying to me, man, you want, you want to get bigger, Jonathan, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, there isn't anything wrong with me. Like I'm busting my butt. I'm, I'm eating to the point of sickness and I can't get bigger. And this woman sitting across the table from me is starving herself to the point of sickness and she can't get smaller. Something about this calorie math isn't adding up. 
So at that point, I really became disillusioned and stopped being a personal trainer. Both of my parents are college professors, so I had a bit of an unfair advantage in terms of when I brought this to my parents' attention, they said, well, you know, where, where are you getting your information from? And I didn't really have a good answer for that. I, you know, muscle magazines and the standard curriculum that personal trainers go through. And they said, well, why don't you do some research? So I ended up on this 15-year research journey that ended up taking me to collaborations with top doctors at the Harvard Medical School, Johns Hopkins, UCLA, the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, all these top places because I had these wonderful college professor parents. And I didn't really know. I I'm, wasn't a nutrition expert. I wasn't pursuing a degree in nutrition. So I ended up reading over like 1,300 scientific studies that spanned from neurobiology, the brain, gastroenterology, the gut, endocrinology, hormones, just cognitive behavioral therapy, just anything that could possibly explain or give an answer to a question that frankly no one has ever asked, which shocked me, or at least hasn't asked publicly, which is why is it that some human beings can eat whatever they want, whenever they want, and not gain weight, while other human beings, right, we're all the same species here, can smell a cheesecake and gain weight. And how can that happen sometimes in the same person? Literally, you take a person when they're 50, and if they eat the same way they ate when they were 15, even if when they were 15, they were sitting around playing video games and whatever, whatever, they could still eat pizza, drink soda, and it wasn't because they were on treadmills all day, not gain weight. But if they do that when they're 50, they gain a tremendous amount of weight. Well, anyway, we, after 15 years of research and all this collaboration, found some answers to this question. And it, it does revolve around the set point. This is what the movie is about. But we can finally explain what it is that makes a naturally thin person naturally thin. And if it is possible for people who are not blessed in that way to make their bodies work more that way. And in discovering the answer to that question, we've also discovered how to help with the most, we're going to use the word epidemic, but you can't, that word has different meanings now than it did in the past. I know you can't use that word anymore. <laughs> can't use that word. We actually had to recut parts of the movie because that word was in there. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that later, but more, put it this way, the global health and economic burden of diabetes plus obesity is, is on par with the, the cost of all violence and all drugs put together. I mean, it just, there's actually an analysis done by McKenzie where the global economic burden of diabetes alone is on par with, it's like a $1 trillion and war and violence is 1.2 trillion. And it's just, it's astronomically big. So this, this journey has really provided us with a template where we can finally understand like how human biology actually works and how our lifestyle impacts that and how it's not about like this diet or that diet, but the general principles that we can all embody to enjoy our best lives and our best bodies. And that doesn't mean like that you'll have a six pack, but it does mean you will be the best version of yourself possible. And you'll do that fairly easily and enjoyably, which is cool. I love this so much. I feel like we're so similar. Like one of my favorite things to do historically and today is just read through the studies and the clinical literature. And I am not advocating this, but in all honesty, like when I first probably lost a lot of weight, it was because I 
did a lot of research on how different foods, like they're basically their potential to become fat or not. And I realized that if I basically just ate like animal protein and wine, (laughs) that there was like very little potential for any of that to actually become body fat. Again, I'm not advocating this at all. It's just to give a different lens to the calories in, calories out model and how there's so much more going on there than I think most people realize. So to that question, like when we eat calories, what else can happen to them besides becoming fat? Why is there this idea that people think they're either burned as energy or stored as fat, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. What happens with calories and why is it so wrong? <laughs> and the, the first really important thing to understand, because the, the title of my first book is The Calorie Myth. So there is this, it's less of an issue now, but back when that book was first published in 2014 and like, if it fits your macros was really popular back then. And people were like, oh, I'm going to burn your house down. You're saying that calories don't matter. I mean, people get angry about this stuff as I'm, I'm sure you've seen. Uh, I'm not saying calories are like unicorns and they don't exist. They exist, but it's really just important first to define what they are. And I'm, I'm not going to say bomb kilometer, but <laughs> the point of understanding what a calorie is, is it's a, it's a, it's a measurement unit, right? So people want to talk about, well, every five years, some university professor eats only a thousand calories of McDonald's and lose weight, loses weight. So clearly a calorie is a calorie and whatever, whatever. Okay. There's a very simple way to never be confused or, or just have those people be quiet. It's if I took a eight ounce glass of purified water and I set it on a table in front of you and I took an eight ounce glass of kerosene, like set it down in front of you. And I said, well, eight ounces is eight ounces. So drink both because eight ounces. Yes. These glasses both contain eight ounces of liquid, but what that eight ounces of liquid is chemically made up of has a tremendous impact on your body, right? And it's it's like a really powerful analogy when you think about it, right? Like calories exist, they absolutely exist. And they're a wonderful way to measure the amount of energy that something provides you. But that's all it tells you is how much energy something provides you. And it's not even a great measurement of that. So when we talk about a food or a substance providing you with energy, aka calories, The huge distinction, and if you really want to simplify the difference between a naturally thin person and someone who is not as blessed, when a naturally thin person consumes more calories than they need for energy, their body spontaneously eliminates them, either through waste, aka the toilet, or by burning them off as heat. Whereas someone who is not naturally thin will take those calories and store them. So the question then becomes, well, what causes the body to make one decision versus the other? And maybe that's the next question you'll ask me, but I'll (laughs) let you. No, yeah, I was just going to comment really briefly on the calories in, calories out model seems so simple, but also the more nuanced approach and the more correct approach is also simple because if you think about it, like you eat something, it's like what you just said, your body could store it or it could burn it. And some people, they'll burn it and some people store it. Like, I don't know why people think that, you know, that it automatically has to be stored, for example. But the next question that you just led to, so the why, who is telling the body to do what it does with these calories? Of the thousands of studies that I looked at, there's one study that just really paints a clear picture here. And it was, I love this study because it was done by a researcher by the name of Levine at the Mayo Clinic. So 
Mayo Clinic. <laughs> this is not some random shanty town. This was done at the Mayo Clinic. And what they did in this study was they took individuals and they overfed them 56,000 calories over the course of, I believe, 12 weeks. I could be getting that part wrong, but the 56,000 calories part is correct. And that means they, they actually measured how many calories these people need according to the calorie in, calorie out, oversimplified version of that model to say, let's keep you at a stable weight. Here's how many calories you need to consume. So they calculated that and then they overfed them 56,000 calories. Now, according to calorie math, Every single person in that study should have gained about 16 pounds. Because if you 15,000 calories divided by the 3,500 calories we've all heard is in a pound of fat, 16 pounds of fat everyone should have gained. Okay. Nobody, zero, these were men and women of all different ages, nobody gained 16 pounds of fat, zero. So right there, done. Like the, It's not as simple as calories in, calories out. Disproven. People did gain weight. Some people, the most they gained of anyone in the study was 8.8 .8 pounds. But there were some people that essentially gained no weight from a statistically significant perspective. They did not gain, they gained less than a pound, 0.8 pounds. So how can a human being eat 56,000 calories more than they need to maintain a stable weight and gain essentially nothing? Well, there's many ways, but this study actually measured three of them. So it measured something called dietary-induced thermogenesis, so the amount of calories you spend burning up food. It measured something called NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or the spontaneous, think of it not only as spontaneous movement of your body, but your body can efficiently or inefficiently use calories for energy. It can, lifting your arm above your head can be done with more or less calories according to your body's desires. And I know that doesn't really sound specifically scientific. Maybe there is a like rigorous scientific explanation for it. I don't know what that is, but we do know and we have measured that the body, you know, it can, you can walk around the block and your body can choose for lack of better terms to burn X calories, or you can walk around the block and your body can choose to burn, this is just an example, 2x calories. So, and what they saw in that study was the individuals, for example, who didn't really gain any weight for dietary-induced thermogenesis, for this non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and just their base metabolic rate, or just the natural amount of calories they're burning, like it just spiked. It spiked. They, these things spontaneously increased. So your body can just respond to eating more by burning more. This study done at the Mayo Clinic measured three ways by burning more calories digesting food, by burning more calories through unconscious movement or inefficient movement, and then just by burning more calories at a baseline called your base metabolic rate. So more calories in can mean more body fat. It can also mean more calories out. And this study showed three specific ways the body can do that. Do you know if they've done any studies on potentially consciously affecting your, like what you're talking about with the body wanting to burn more? Or is it, do they think it's like completely at a subconscious level, like perceived rate of exertion? Like, does that affect anything? I can answer the opposite question. So I cannot speak to seeing research myself that says, if you eat more calories in and of themselves, you will be driven to be more active. However, the opposite is true. It is a scientific fact that if you eat fewer calories, you will be driven to be less active, 
We know that if you just straight up say, I'm going to take my current diet that I'm eating and I'm going to eat half as much, You're, you will be cold, you will be lethargic, you will lose your sex drive. Like It will basically be like you turned your body down a couple notches. So while I can't talk about the, the eat more driven to move more, we do know eat less driven to move less. Do some people you think, at least in the beginning, especially like they're starting a crash diet or something, temporarily experience the opposite because of the stress response, like the need to find food? Like, I feel like some people experience the opposite or like people who get like really stressed and they lose weight and it seems to be like the opposite effect. The release of cortisol in the body, I mean, the, the body's stress hormone, there's a myriad, but your body, yes, if you're, if what you're doing is causing your body to release adrenaline or noradrenaline or epinephrine or cortisol, you will potentially suppress appetite. You will potentially have that temporary high that could be happening for some people in a, in a dietary situation. What I can speak to more definitively is long-term outcomes. And I think that's really important because we can all do all sorts of fun stuff in the short term. And frankly, that's kind of a problem. Most people who struggle with their weight have lost weight. That's not the issue. The issue is keeping it off. And that's because the things you do to sh lose weight in the short term actually elevate your set point, actually predispose your body to storing calories instead of burning them. And that's why taking that short-term approach to metabolic or body change is counterproductive. I mean, it is, it is far healthier. This is, this is an objective scientific fact. It is far healthier to stay 100 pounds over fat than it is to be 100 pounds over fat, diet down to an ideal weight, cycle back up to 100 pounds over fat, diet down to an ideal weight. You would literally be far healthier just staying at 100 pounds over fat. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. 
I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time. That's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body 
in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Yeah, 100%. I actually recently interviewed Joel Green on the show and he was talking about like the changes that happen to the extracellular matrix around our fat cells every time we yo-yo and basically how they just become more and more inflamed every single time, you know, can create a myriad of health issues and make it harder and harder to lose weight. It's just really, really crazy. Speaking to that, the actual body set point itself, really quick question. What is the typical range in pounds of what weight that we see that body likes to defend? I want to really quickly define the set point to to answer this question more, more appropriately because your audience is very savvy. So I want to be very clear that the concept of, of set point is a, it's an abstraction of, of a lot of complicated science, right? So there, there isn't actually like a thing in your body called the set point. I know that might sound obvious, but like I've gotten questions like, well, where is your set point? Like where physically, where is your set point? Like a number in your hypothalamus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that, that might not be as silly as it sounds because the, the set point or the homeostatic regulation of core body functions, right? Like there are fixed set points, for example, for body temperature, Right. All homo sapiens have basically the same body temperature set point. It may fluctuate a little bit, but 98.6 degrees is pretty consistent for men, women, young, old, across the board. And if you think of blood sugar, right, blood sugar also revolves around a set point. If your blood sugar gets too low, your body will do things to automatically help bring it back up. If it gets too high, same thing. And the same thing applies with even hydration, right? If you drink more fluids, your body will naturally take steps to eliminate more fluids. And if you drink fewer fluids, your body will take steps to conserve fluids. When it comes to body fatness, we do, like there is, it's it's very difficult to talk about pounds or a range because we vary in in body structure. But we do know that there is, so it's easier to talk in terms of visual appearance because we, we do like, we do all intrinsically know what, if you look at a picture of a group of people from like 1910, 1920, 1930, you will see what normal homo sapiens look like. That is generally what homo sapiens look like. You know, they range from between five feet tall to a little over six feet tall. 
And depending on their gender and their age, they range from between 110 pounds to 210 pounds in general. But like that's a big range. So it's very difficult to say, you know, it's a 20 pound range because if you're five foot one, it's probably not a 20 pound range. And if you're six foot five, it might be a 20 pound range. But it is a it is a small, I would say maybe think of it better as a around eight percent range of your ideal body weight where your body's so if you think of a 150 pound person you're like maybe 10 pounds 11 pounds up or down that your body's going to work to fight to keep you within no matter how much you eat or how little you eat or how much you exercise or how little you exercise but as you start deviating from that range significant metabolic consequences happen so this set point idea are people born with a certain set point like how fast or how easily does it change and can it change between different set points throughout your life like can you raise your set point and then lower your set point and what are the implications and effects of all of that you can very much change your set point and genetics have a lot to do with your set point so researchers estimate that your genes can dictate you know upwards of of 50% or more of your set point. If both of your parents were naturally husky, chances are you're going to have a predisposition to being husky, much like if both of your parents were over six feet tall, the likelihood of you being 4'11 is much lower than if your parents were shorter. So there is a large genetic predisposition to weight, much like there is a large, sorry, and I should say body fat level, not weight, there is a large genetic predisposition to body fat level, much like there is a large genetic predisposition to the height of your body. That said, the set point is clearly changeable because we've all seen and experienced a culture now where people, no matter how hard they try, it's like their body is fighting to weigh 300 pounds at a height of 5'5". So like clearly the set point has changed in that person. Their body is actively, think about this. If this is the clearest explanation in the world of how something deeper has to be going on and the deeper thing is an elevated set point. Let's think about a person who is 100 pounds over fat. And notice that I'm saying over fat, not overweight, because the whole overweight thing is a bit of a misnomer, but we can definitely say like if an individual is storing surplus fat on their body, that's really what we're talking about here. So if someone is storing 100 pounds of surplus fat, not 100 pounds of fat, because you need some fat or you die, 100 pounds of surplus fat, that body, if we go with the the math that people are familiar with of a pound of fat has 3,500 calories within it, that body has 350,000 calories of usable energy already inside of it. Like pre-digested, ready to go, 350,000 units of fuel to make that body move, but that person's still hungry. How could you possibly be craving food and have your brain have this relentless drive to get energy into your body when you already have 350,000 calories of pre-digested energy sitting in your body. Well, what's happened is 
breakdown in the way your brain is working, the breakdown in the way your gut is working, and the breakdown in the way your hormones are working. And this has caused an elevation of that set point. Now, the body is in a disease state. It's literally a disease state. Obesity and diabetes are disease states. And the body, just like if you have hypertension, right, that is a disease state where your body has lost the ability to regulate automatically blood pressure healthfully. What is diabetes? Diabetes is a disease state where your body has lost the ability to regulate blood sugar automatically. What is obesity? Obesity is a disease state where your body has lost the ability to regulate body fatness health, healthfully. All of those diseases are dysfunctions of set points. They're elevations or in other cases, decreases in set point. And we have the ability to change it up change it down. And none of that happens by eating less. It happens by eating differently or manipulating the quality of the food you're consuming. And actually to that point, so when a person reaches that diseased state where they are storing all of these pounds of excess fat that they you know, can't access for some reason, does it matter how they got there in so far as, let's say there was one person who massively overate, but they overate quote quality foods like that you talk about in your book and in your work. Let's say they somehow managed to, you know, gain the weight from that route compared to somebody who gained weight from like the standard American diet. Like does the type of food that created that weight gain play a part in the inability to lose it? I will go so far as to say it is impossible to like you can only gain weight eating a certain type of food. It is not possible to long-term become significantly overfat by consuming what we define as high-quality foods. It's not possible. You would have to, I mean, I've tried it. <laughs> I've, I've tried to over-consume non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense protein, whole food fats, and low-fructose fruits in that order, and it's not possible. You, to be clear, you cannot gain fat unless you are consuming more energy than your body can make use of, right? That's the whole people get into this calorie debate and they're saying you can't make matter out of nothing, right? So if matter, aka fat, is to exist on the body, it has to get created from something. You just can't spontaneously materialize matter. And the way that body fat gets created is with excess energy. The body stores it as fat. So there has to be a calorie surplus in order for body fat to be created. A calorie surplus gives you the need to store body fat. But having the neurological and gastroenterological and endocrinological issues are what create the environment or the ability for your body to turn those excess calories into fat. So one, you, you do have to be in a calorie surplus to gain fat, but you also have to have an environment that will allow your body to store those calories as fat. And it is not possible to create a huge surplus of calories consistently eating the right quality of food, nor is it possible to create the neurological, hormonal, and digestive environment to store fat if you are eating the right quality of foods. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> this is so key. So so you just mentioned it, but 
those different aspects that do affect the set point. So the inflammation in the brain, the gut bacteria, the hormones, and I'll refer listeners to your books and your documentary because you go into everything in great detail and definitely can't touch on everything now. But I was really, really particularly intrigued by something you called it hormone clogging. I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about that. Like what is happening in our body with clogs? This again is is an abstraction. It is to help communicate a point. There is not a literal clog in your body, but the best way to think of it, I'll give a, a like a story analogy, but first I'll give a little bit more of a technical explanation. A good example of a hormonal clog, a literal example of a metaphorical, a literal example of a metaphorical hormonal clog involves leptin. So when the hormone leptin was discovered, everyone I mean, it always existed, but when the scientific community was like, leptin, it's a thing, everyone was really excited because they said, wow, leptin is secreted by your fat cells in proportion to the amount of fat cells you have. It's like your body is trying to secrete a signal so that your brain can know how much fat you're carrying. Holy moly, right? Like this leptin is literally secreted in proportion to the amount of fat you have on your body. And, and therefore, let's make the conclusion that leptin is designed in part to signal to your brain, hey, here's how much body fat I have. So people said, wow, so if I can give people more leptin, like if I could inject you with leptin and trick your brain to thinking that you have 500 pounds of fat on your body, would your brain do things like suppress appetite or prompt you to move more because your brain is trying to regulate body fatness automatically, just like it tries to regulate everything else automatically. So it was like, oh, we, we've solved obesity. Got it. Give people leptin injections. It failed miserably, horribly, unfortunately, because what we saw was that no matter how much leptin you gave to someone, if the leptin receptors in their brain were blocked, or if there was like a clog in the communication channel between your hormones and your brain, no matter how much of that hormone was secreted, it couldn't communicate or get its message across to the brain. In fact, they dug in even further and found that in some cases, people who chronically struggle with being over fat would have 25 times the amount of leptin circulating in their bloodstream as someone who is storing a healthy amount of fat. So the issue wasn't the amount of leptin in their system. It was that their brain, there was a clog. It was like that communication couldn't happen. And if you want, this is kind of gross, but it's, it's science. There were studies done on rodents, and you'll understand in a moment why this had to be done on rodents. These are called parabiotic studies, where they would actually take two rodents, and I'm not endorsing this, it's kind of gross and mean, they would they take two rodents and they would literally cut an incision in their side and stitch them together. So you essentially have a Franken rodent. And the reason they would do this is so that the, the hormones in the blood of two rodents would essentially circulate. So you have the you they would take a thin rodent and an obese rodent and they would stitch them together so that they shared the same blood supply, aka the same hormones. And what happened is that even though you would sort of think like, oh, you know, the, the thin hormones from the rat would, would change and, and affect the thin hormones of the overweight rat, very unexpected outcomes took place because the overweight rat's brain was not able to hear these hormones. So it wasn't so much just a hormonal problem. It was also a neurological problem. 
So there's a very complicated conversation going on in your body, right? Your your gut is 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 releasing signals. Your your hormones are releasing signals. Your brain is releasing signals, and there's a two way communication happening or three-way communication happening between your brain, your gut, and your hormones. If at any point in time that communication breaks down, we've got problems. So I like to call that a clog. It's just like a clog in the pipeline. It's not an actual clog, but it really illustrates what, what happens and why just saying like, eat less food. Like if you have a fundamental breakdown, a clog in the communication between core bodily functions, and someone were to say to you, just eat less food. Like, explain to me the mechanism why eating less food will solve that problem. It, it, it just misses the point entirely. In the studies with the rats, what happened? Did they just stay the same? Like, did the thin rats get fat and the fat rats stayed fat? What happened was the thin rats, so this is very fascinating, the fat rats, part of the reason the fat rats were so fat was because their brain lost the ability to react to hormones. So the, the, the hormones of the thin rat did not cause the fat rat to lose fat, but the fat rat essentially was pumping excess leptin into the thin rat. And if you think about it, right, the thin rat doesn't have inflammation in its brain. So the thin rat is going to hear the leptin as saying, hey, thin rat, you have too much fat on your body. So the already thin rat was actually starting to cannibalize itself and become even thinner. My mind's being blown. That's crazy. And there's, there's even crazier studies with rats, and this is why they have to do them with rats, because again, I'm not endorsing these. But they have actually genetically engineered rats where they have so sabotaged the rat's ability to burn fat that if they starve the rat, the rat will actually cannibalize its organs and die before it burns fat. That is upsetting. And, and the reason I'm making that, you're like, what, what are we talking about at this point? The reason I'm saying that is clearly if you, I mean, it's a rat, not a, not a person, right? But the point it makes, and they've genetically manipulated it, blah, 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 is if you can take a mammal and diddle with its biology such that Telling it to eat less, metaphorically, because it's a rat, you can't tell it to eat less, will cause it to cannibalize its liver before it burns fat. There's something more than just like count your Weight Watchers points more aggressively that we got to start talking about when we're talking about a disease as severe and important as obesity. How is that even possible? Like, because I'm assuming the body does everything it does from an evolutionary perspective, I feel like it's trying to do, you know, good things. Like it's not trying to hurt you. So like, what is the like evolutionary benefit to cannibalizing your organs and not your fat? Well, again, these were genetically engineered rodents. So this, this would not happen in nature, but, but to that point, right. I mean, there's no genetic advantage to cancer, but it happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in cancer, we see the same thing. Like you know, cachexia and preferentially cannibalizing things that we should not be. And that's, that's a really good point though, right? I mean, that's, the, and this is the thing, like, this is the thing about the movie. This is about all the work that we, we do here at my company is that like, if someone says I have cancer, even if they're like, I have lung cancer and they've smoked for 40 years, we're not like the answer is to smoke less. I mean, we're, <laughs> it's a disease. Like there's a, let's have a, 
Let's have a conversation. Like this is a big freaking deal. We need to look at it seriously. And if, if you know, if someone goes into a psychiatrist's office and says, I'm depressed, and the psychiatrist was like, Well, why don't you just frown less and smile more? We'd say, What? But that that is what the vast majority of the population is still being told when it comes to these severe metabolic diseases, which is like, hey, just try harder, frown less and smile more, just eat less and exercise more. Like there's <laughs> and it's that is it would be funny if it wasn't so inhumane and sick. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits 
the longest lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight, it's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Hi, friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put 
put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. That was one of the things I really, really loved about Better was the emotional like component to it and how you really did break down this pervasive shame in society surrounding weight gain and how it's just rooted and like there's a scientific reason behind it, but it does so often become a thing of shame. It comes off like it's your personal fault and it's a moral thing. And like you said, that you're just not trying hard enough. So I really, really thank you for the work that you're doing. So while we're in this really deep, dark hole, there is some light. <laughs> you do have your SANE method. Would you like to tell listeners briefly what's going on there? Like what the, the different letters stand for and, and why this is a solution to, to where we find ourselves with the set point? Yeah. And one quick point of clarification, because I, I want to I want to really emphasize how I am just a mouthpiece for like the actual experts, right? Like in this film, we had the great privilege of working with four of the top medical doctors at Harvard Medical School. And and I, so when we say like my SANE method, I mean, I SANE is an acronym for four factors around the quality of calories and their impact on the body that have been well-established in the scientific community. I have been very lucky to sort of figure out that if you turn them into an acronym, they spell SANE, but like literally that's as far as I've taken it. So, and it's not even a perfect acronym because the acronym stands for satiety, aggression, nutrition, and efficiency. 
and you want to eat highly satisfying and very nutritious foods, but you want to eat unaggressive and inefficient food. So it's, it's not even like, even if I wanted to make it like my perfect, quick internet magic plan, I failed miserably. But so the, the, the answer to all of this, like this all revolves around food quality rather than quantity. And it's not about eating less. It's about eating better. But that, okay, high five, yay, up with people. What does that mean? How do I eat better? Does that mean I need to eat more keto? Does that mean I need to eat more paleo? Does that mean I need to shop at only whole foods and farmers markets? Or what does it mean? Should I be a vegan? Should I be a vegetarian? What it means to eat better is to eat foods that the scientific community has proven unequivocally have certain characteristics. And I know that's not super sexy, but there are four characteristics of food that are just objective, measurable facts that we can use to evaluate foods to say, you know, hey, on a spectrum of optimal for health to terrible for health, where does it fall on this spectrum? And those four factors are satiety, how quickly a food fills you up and how long it keeps you full, aggression, the hormonal response that's triggered in your body when you eat the food, nutrition the amount of essential vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and fatty acids that a food contains relative to uh, potentially toxic and addictive substances, and E, your efficiency or how easily your body could store a food as fat. So satiety, aggression, nutrition, and efficiency are four factors. You could abbreviate them using SANE, which you could look at any food and you could say, let's rank it in terms of satiety. Let's rank it in terms of aggression. Let's measure and rank it in terms of nutrition. And let's measure and rank it in terms of efficiency. And none of those things are debatable. Like we can sit here and we can debate 100% whether or not it is good for the environment to eat meat. We cannot debate how much vitamin C is in 100 grams of spinach versus how much vitamin C is in 100 grams of wheat. Like there's no debate there. And there's also no debate as to whether or not your body needs vitamin C to thrive. So what we've done in this film and what I've, I've worked with all these researchers to do over the past 15 years is to do that analysis of the satiety of food, of the hormonal impact of food, of the nutritional benefits of food and of food's ability to be stored as body fat. And like, it's extremely complicated, but it can be boiled down very simply. And there's essentially four food groups that are the sanest food groups in the world. The sanest or highest quality food group in the world is non-starchy vegetables. These are vegetables that generally grow above ground. So I have to say this, like potatoes aren't a vegetable. They grow below ground. But if you think of vegetables that you could eat raw, you don't have to eat them raw, but you could eat them raw that grow above ground, these are non-starchy vegetables, vegetables you frequently find in salads. Next are nutrient-dense proteins. So these are foods that get more of their calories from protein than from fat or carbohydrate, and they contain as many essential nutrients as possible. So for example, things like salmon would be a wonderful nutrient-dense protein, but even things like oysters, Things called mollusks, like oysters and clams, these are incredibly nutrient-dense sources of protein. And you may have heard things like organ meats. While they're not super popular, right? eating liver is rich in protein and provides an incredible amount of essential nutrition when compared to, for example, just eating ground chuck. So you've got non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense proteins, 
The next sanest food group are whole food fats. So these are foods that derive more calories from fats than they do from carbohydrate or protein, and they are found in whole food form. So an egg, for example, nuts and seeds, for example. Oils are not a whole food. So while they do contain almost all of their calories from fat, they're not a whole food. So we're talking about whole food fats here because we want that essential nutrition in there as well. And then the fourth sanest food group are low fructose fruits. So there's a lot of fruits in the world, but there are a lot of fruits that contain a lot of sugar and relatively little nutrition. And there are foods that contain a tremendous amount of nutrition and not as much sugar. And those low fructose fruits are primarily berries and citrus fruits. So if you eat non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense protein, whole food fats, and low fructose fruits in that order of volume, it is impossible. It is impossible to not enjoy the best body and best health you possibly can given your genetic makeup. And you can do that kosher, halal, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, like it's not a diet. It is a set of characteristics that however you wanna eat, you can identify what are the non-starchy vegetables that are paleo or what are the non-starchy vegetables that are kosher or what are the non-starchy vegetables that are keto And our goal is not to tell you, you need to eat exactly this way. Our goal is to tell you, here is a true framework, right? Like the BS framework is calories, right? You go into McDonald's and it says, here's our healthy choices. And they're things that contain less than 400 calories. That doesn't make something healthy. A cigarette has no calories in it. That doesn't mean you should eat it. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. But now you can say, however I choose to eat, I can eat better by choosing saner foods. Yeah, I love this so much. It's really the types of foods that I have gravitated towards. Then the tweak that I tend to do on it is I find for me metabolically, I tend to do better if I'm eating a meal, either high carb, lower fat, or higher fat, lower carb, just because I feel like the metabolic competition between the substrates causes me personally a problem. Like, Do you find that for some people that do some people need to be lower carb? Do some people do better on lower fat? Is it just a, a personal thing? I think it's quite universal that eating just fat and, and carbohydrate alone is not a good idea. I mean, that's, that's not a great combination at all for anyone ever. I don't think there's any, there's any context in which glucose and fat being dumped into a human body is not a good thing. And the reason for that, I mean, if you want to, I mean, your, your audience probably knows already, right? But your body can either run on sugar or fat, right? It, it, one or the other, there's two fuel sources. So you, you're, I mean, this might not be the actual reason, but it's a way I like to think about it, right? You, your body can eat, this, this is science, what I'm about to say, and then I'm going to sort of give my opinion. Your body can either prefer to run on sugar or fat, and the vast, vast majority of people in the world, the reason we have a diabetes and obesity epidemic is their bodies have been trained to run on sugar. And if your body's trained to run on sugar, you have a problem because you can't really store sugar. So unless you're eating sugar, you don't have any sugar. And this is why you're hungry every two hours, because your body burns up the sugar as as blood sugar. And then it's looking around for more sugar. There is none. It's like, hey, I've got this 100 pounds of surplus fat chilling over here. But it's like, that's fine. I don't like burning fat. I like burning sugar for fuel. That's what I'm used to doing. That's what I'm metabolically conditioned to do. But if you're not getting the vast majority of your calories from sugar and and you're getting the majority of your calories from fat as 
many human beings did throughout the history of the world, or at least if your body is not in a disease state where it can't switch between using sugar and fat for fuel easily. When your body does run out of energy, it just says, oh, look, there's this fat already in my body that I can burn for energy. So I'm going to, to do that. And some people call this being fat adapted. And this is an ability or a metabolic skill in quotations that a lot of us have lost due to the excessively high refined carbohydrate diets we have been conditioned to eat. But to your point, and this is more just my theory, I think you know if you're in this disease state, this metabolic disease state, eating sugar and fat at the same time just confuses your body. I mean, again, that's not like a literal scientific explanation, but it's just like, I, huh, what's going on? What's really happening from a metabolic perspective is you're spiking insulin while simultaneously taking in the most efficient form of, of calories in the world, which is triglyceride or fat, right? Fat is very efficient, the E insane. Your body needs to do very little to take fat that you eat and store it as fat. There's not a lot of processing that has to happen. And if you eat a bunch of refined carbs while eating fat, you are literally like opening the door to your fat cells, literally using the hormone insulin, which is secreted in excess when you eat refined carbohydrates. So you're, you're like literally rolling out the red carpet for the fat to go directly into your fat cells. And that's more of the metabolic explanation of why combining those two nutrients in, you know, which is what like donuts, cakes, cookies, pies, ice cream, like all of the things that everyone agrees are not ideal. What they are, are the combination of sugar or refined starch and fat. And that's why I don't care what diet you're on or, or what guru you listen to. None of them are advocating to eat those foods. For listeners, if you look up the Randall cycle, you can go down a crazy rabbit hole. I think that's what's like literally going on with the fatty acid glucose competition. To your point, you just now, like with the donuts and all of that, it, I think it's really interesting because people often they'll label those as carbs, but it's, <laughs> I'm always like, it's not just carbs, it's carbs and fat together. So there's probably something else going on there. So I want to be really respectful of your time. Can you briefly tell listeners just a little bit about the myth of exercise and how that might play a role in set point? Very briefly, the whole conversation we've had so far here has to do with quality versus quantity, right? We've been talking about it's not just about eating less food, it's about eating better or now we've refined that to saner food. When it comes to exercise, it's really important to understand that the mythology of like just exercise more is really just a different way of saying eat less. Like they're both calorie myths. Eating less is saying just get yourself in a calorie deficit through putting less stuff in your mouth. Whereas exercise more is just put yourself in a calorie deficit by moving your body more. And it's actually way harder to burn calories than it is to eat fewer calories. So the advice to exercise more just blanketly as a form of weight management is, is even worse than telling someone to eat less because it's basically a very inefficient way to eat less. And it also makes you hungry as hell. So it's, it's frankly just counterproductive, right? I love Gary Tobbs back in the day. He gave an analogy. I think he just came out with a new book. So it's probably in there too. Where he, he just says, you know, what if you were going to get ready for the biggest meal of your life, what would you do? Well, the first thing you, you know, to make yourself hungry, you wouldn't eat and you'd probably go for a really long walk. You'd exercise more because you know that makes you hungry. But so the problem here with exercise is exercise is just another way to quote unquote eat less. It's just a really slow and painful way of doing that. And it fails for all the same reasons that eating less fails. It doesn't 
target or do anything about the fundamental underlying cause of excess fat storage, which is inflammation in the brain, dysregulation of hormonal balance, and dysbiosis in your gut, period. Like it's just, it's like saying, and exercise is good for other stuff. Don't get me wrong. So this is going to sound like a silly analogy, but if someone said, hey, I'm really struggling with my weight and someone says, well, how much like nonfiction reading of history are you doing? And I said, I, none. Nonfiction reading of history is probably a good thing. It develops your mind. It's a wonderful thing to do, but it has nothing is not going to help you heal a metabolic disorder. So there's all sorts of benefits to exercise. And some people have said that I'm sort of like poo-pooing exercise. I'm not. I'm simply saying that most normal common forms of exercise are about as effective for treating the disease of obesity as reading nonfiction books is effective at treating the disease of obesity. Like it's a, it's a good activity that helps a lot of people do a lot of things, but it's just not an effective treatment for this disease because it does nothing for your brain, your gut, and your hormones. And that's really what we need to be targeting in a very specific way to address this disease. Yeah. And for listeners, I'll definitely refer them to your books. I know you go deep into exercise and the set point diet and the types of exercise that we should be doing to help reduce our set point. Also your documentary better, really, really incredible things. And so thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. I've two the really quick questions. One, I'm just dying to know, do you know, not advocating this at all, but I'm just curious, do you know when people get like liposuction or like cool sculpting, like when they actually remove their fat cells, do you know if, does the body like try to, does it remember that it had more fat cells and try to regain them? Have you seen any studies on that? I don't know. I do. The only semi-related science that I am aware of is some of the, when they've done things like gastric sleeves, they have seen that that can change the gut composition. Like people often had, had sometimes thought that the only reason that those surgeries, quote unquote, work is because they force people to eat less. But there's more and more research emerging that the impact that it has on the flora in your gut is, is a major reason why they, quote unquote, work for the people that they work for. I do know that in rodent models, rodent models, they have proven in rodent models that you can take a rat you can genetically predispose them and do all these things to manipulate their, their body in the ways we've described here. And then you can suck fat out of their body and their body will preferentially regain that fat. We haven't been able, nor will we ever be able to prove that in humans because it would never be no government or ethical committee would ever allow people to do that. But what you're describing has been demonstrated in rodents. It's really, really fascinating. And then the last question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it actually ties into something else that we didn't talk about in this interview, but which you you talk about extensively in your work, which is the role and the power of mindset surrounding everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? My wife and two daughters. I love it. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This has been absolutely amazing. I could ask you a million thousand more questions, but I will not. (laughs) And again, I will refer listeners to all of your work. Thank you. The documentary, I believe when this airs, it will have just come out, I think. like it's We're timing this right around the release. So where can people see better? The best place to go now or anytime in the future for that film is going to be bettermovie.com. Just bettermovie.com. And and then if you'd like to learn more about the other things we're up to, 
our company's website is sane, S-A-N-E, solution.com. Awesome. Well, again, for listeners, I will put all this information in the show notes, which will be at melanieavalon.com slash setpoint. And thank you so much. I would love to bring you back in the future for a part two, if you're down for it. I mean, like I could do a listener Q&A, like so many questions for you, but this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you, Melanie. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.